Um, if you are brand new, uh, we are in a series titled The Good News. The Good News. Everybody say good news. It is birthed out of the four books in the Bible, Matthew, Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are called the Gospels. The first three are called the Synoptic Gospels. The majority, 60 to 70 percent of the first three books are similar. That's why synoptic means similar. So the first three books, it's a story. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the promise fulfilled through the Old Testament that Jesus would come as a man, live a life we couldn't live, die a death we couldn't die, and pay a price we never could pay, and conquer death. And then John, the last book, is about 20% similar, so it's uh, a little bit more of a different uh, eyewitness account. So there's four eyewitnesses' accounts of this good news. And then 50-plus years later, the people that were following the Lord went this way and then went this way. And what I mean by that is, man, vision leaks real fast. You ever have vision for your life? Like, I'm going to go change the world. I'm going to be different. And then by Tuesday, you're like, what was I going to do? Oh, yeah, change the world. I forgot. Um, this happens because what happens is the world gets so busy and there's so much pressure from culture and so much pressure from religion to live a different life. And so last week we talked about in Galatians, which is this amazing small book that Martin Luther uh, was one of the main central books of the um, New Testament that birthed the Protestant Reformation from the religious um, basically stronghold on the gospel. And so the book of Galatians really is a defensive book of what the gospel isn't. Another way to say it is the people uh, that this book was written to, they were falling in love with the law more than the love of God. They were falling in love with the law more than the, actually the gospel. Because if you could put it this way, the law does not save us. The law just shows that we need a savior. Uh, let's use medical terms. It's like an MRI machine. Let's say you uh, tear your knee uh, like Clay Thompson, ACL, MCL. We pray for Clay Thompson right now in the name of Jesus, that he'll come back better than ever. Come on now, warriors. Um, okay, anyways, um, you can pray for your sports athletes. Anyway, so he tore his ACL, goes in, gets an MRI, shows that it's torn. That's it. You need somebody to heal that tear. But what happened is, is the people uh, that were the audience of Galatia, they fell in love with the MRI and not the healer anymore. And they would say, the more and more that you follow rules, the more and more you'll be healed. The more MRI machines we can get in here, the more and more law that we can get in here, the more rules we can get in here, the better we'll be. That is not the gospel message. The gospel message is that we are all sick from sin and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the savior named Jesus came into our life and he is the healer. He is the cure. And he's here to save all of us. Religion will not save you. Our relationship with Jesus will save you. And then the second part is Romans. And it's this amazing verse in Romans. I'll read it to you. We read Galatians last week. But Romans 1, it says this, For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from the start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Where you put your trust. Put your trust in your friends, your bank account, your position. Put your trust in the gospel and watch what it does to your life. And it goes on to say in verse 25, and this is where it gets really sad. Again, just 50 plus years after Jesus had died, the death that we couldn't die and conquered death. It says they traded the truth about God for a lie. They traded the truth about God, the truth of the gospel. So they worshiped and served the things of God, the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Stop. Basically, what the book of Romans is, is it's describing this other group of people. So you have one group that I would call the legalistic group, the people who love the law and rules. And the other side of the group is the licentious group. Licentious is a group that just loves the pleasures of this world, and they think they can live for the pleasures of this world and still get the promises of heaven. It's not how it works. And so throughout 
Paul's ministry, he is writing the same thing over and over again, just in different ways, if I could put it that way, about the gospel. The gospel has been under attack since Jesus went back to heaven. Since Jesus' ascension, if I could put it that way. Well, as I was in Europe, I'm walking through these 6,000 person cedar basilicas, which are churches. They're massive, beautiful. Oh, you, you pay money to walk into some of these. And they're empty. No worship, no salvation, because the gospel had been destroyed. It became about something else, power. It became about building a building instead of building people. It became about somebody's preference. And so you look throughout different regions of our world, and when the gospel leaves, so does everything else. Joy leaves, power leaves, it just leaves. And then guess what happens? The people leave because who would want to come to a church just to hear about religion? I want something more powerful than religion. I want something that could change my life. I want something that could set me free. I want something that could actually put me on the trajectory of all the purpose, things in my life. Let's be honest. Title of my message today is the good news, fulfillment. Not the sexiest title, fulfillment, but I'm telling you, everybody in the house wants it. Everybody wants to be fulfilled. Everybody wants their life to be fulfilled. So what do we do? We chase the carrot that culture shows us. I want to be fulfilled. I'm going to have the greatest career. A career would fulfill me. Well, guess what happens? What's sad about this is you may reach your whole life chasing this carrot, and then at the end of your days, you're like, I still feel empty. I thought a career would fulfill me. Some people want to be fulfilled. Well, it's got to be a person. If I just meet the one, the girl or the guy of my dreams, and if I meet them, they'll fulfill my soul. And what happens is you put this yoke on your spouse. Guess what? Men, we're terrible gods. We're terrible. We can't even hit the toilet seat. Let's keep it real. Yes, agreed. Yes, okay, good. We're on the same page. We're terrible gods. But when you marry somebody and, and you, you say, my, my husband, he'll be my God. He'll fulfill me. And then you wonder why you're so frustrated with your husband because he was never meant to meet that part of your life or your heart. His name is Jesus. We say, okay, if it's not my spouse, not my career, it's got to be my kids. My kids will fulfill me. And again, these are all gifts. These are all good things. Stop putting the yoke of fulfillment on your kids and living vicariously through them and mourning the day when they're going to leave and thinking, oh my gosh, my life is over because this was my God. Jesus came on the scene and he said this to the Samaritan woman at the well. And we're going to get in the messages. He said this in John 4. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God, uh, the, the gift God has for you. Turn your neighbor and say, if you only knew. That was pretty good. I'll take it. You're like, fine, if you only knew. Okay, let's get back to the message. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And what Jesus is saying in this moment to the Samaritan woman, but he's saying it to us. This is the gospel. It's alive and active. It's, it's just as powerful today. He's saying to her, if you only knew the gift I had for you, you would ask me for the thing that you've been searching throughout this world for. And it's this living water Good news, there is this type of drink that is not of this world that will satisfy your soul, your mind, your heart. It will give you an abundance that you never thought you could have. Because let's be honest, the Samaritan woman, she was trying to find her fulfillment in men. He goes on to talk about, yo, you got five husbands. God will call you out, by the way. He said, you got five husbands. And again, no person could satisfy her. You may not have five husbands. You may be saying, how many hobbies do I have to have in my life to find fulfillment? 
How many different careers do I have to blame why I'm not fulfilled? How many people in my life do I have to blame? How many churches do I have to blame? Because again, the church cannot fulfill you. Jesus fulfills you. And then you come to the church and you worship this Jesus that fulfills you. And you bring other people to the church. And they don't worship the church. They worship the thing that fulfills them. His name is Jesus. So my prayer is that you would stop the cycle of trying everything else and you would actually give Jesus a shot. Will you bow your heads? So Father, with every head bowed and eye closed, Lord, there is this desire in our heart and you gave it to us. I believe it's almost this homing beacon for that we would search until we were satisfied, that we would look from well to well, but the only well that can satisfy is the well of Jesus and you have living water. So Lord, I declare today that my words would fall to the floor and your words would soar. Oh Jesus, we need you, we need you, we need you. And everybody said? Okay, so we're gonna look at a handful of things that the gospel can do in your life. That it, I, I think these are things that your hearts desire. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So you're not gonna find anywhere else. So what's the first thing we need to look at? I think we all desire to be valued. We all desire to be valued. All of us wanna be the one that's invited to the party. If you don't invite me to a party, I'm gonna be honest, I'm ticked. I'm like, uh, hello, I'm on Instagram and I'm checking my DMs. I don't see an invite. I'm looking through my text messages. I'm like, uh, okay, I guess I'm not invited, right? This is, this, is not a good, this is not a good feeling. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet, it says. It says that God sent out invitations to you and I to the party. Because I do believe all of us have this desire to be invited to the party. And so it goes on to say that we desire to be valued and not only that, we desire to be restored. Joel 2.25 is this fascinating verse in the Old Testament. And the 2.24, I'll, I'll paraphrase, but it's basically this moment in, in Israel's life where they basically aren't a nation of value and they don't have anything of value. It has been stolen from them. And so God makes this declaration. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. Everybody say amen. Come on, that, he is the, if you read all Joel 2, what he's saying is he's the restorer of stolen years. He's the restorer of stolen things. This is the essence of Joel 2. This is the promise from God. This is the good news I'm declaring to you today, that he's the restorer of stolen things. He can restore lost years. How does that even happen? I, I want you to catch this real quick. When you look at your life, I think it's very obvious to all of us that sin affects innocent people. That when you have a father, my, my wife, so thankful for her parents, her dad instilled value in my wife. Almost too much value, if I'm being honest, okay? Yeah, yeah, she's like, you better talk to me differently. I'm like, okay, dang, okay. Um, but she got a lot of value. My, my, my wife had so much value, she would never, ever, ever, ever date a guy that was just a tool shed or a loser. She knew her value. She knew her value so much, she waited for Tyler Johnson, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> she's like, finally, I met somebody with my value. Come on now. Anyways, so she knew her value. Because she had a father that taught her that she could conquer the world, spoke life into her, gave her hugs. Literally, he, he taught her that she was somebody special. She was a princess. She had to wait for her prince. Come on now. And so, um, anyways, um, I didn't grow up in that kind of house. I would remember getting my first girlfriend ever. And the first thing my dad said to me was like, why would she go out with you? And the next day, when is she going to break up with you? These are statements my dad would make. My dad would make statements to my sisters when we had this thing that would happen in the Johnson household. When you would go through puberty, you would just gain weight. You just like you would you would look at a donut and you just gain weight, okay? And so all of us like we have these pictures of ourselves in this season where we were just we were a little thicker, and I was like kind of a little. Hee. Well, my my sisters went through the same thing, but as they're going through the same thing, I remember my dad saying terrible things about them about their weight, and saying get on, get off your fat behind and do this and 
And what would happen to my sisters is one of my sisters almost died from bulimia. Because when you have people in your life that attack your value and they steal your value, you start to think you're worth nothing unless you look like something. And the only way that these things get restored, they trade the truth of who God is for the things that this world created. When you trade the truth of God, you change the truth about yourself. Because let's be honest, when sin impacts our life, there's only one person that can restore that sin that hit your life. His name is Jesus. I want to share a story with you real quick to make it more sense. Uh, Steve Wynn, uh, not a believer, but I just thought it was a fascinating story. Uh, he uh, was um, the brainchild of the Bellagio in Las Vegas. Who's been in Las Vegas? Raise your hand. Come on now. We all need prayer. Okay. Um, <laughs> Y'all told on yourself. You went, Vegas! Um, we all went on a missionary trip together. I get it. Okay. Um, so, um, but Vegas is family friendly. Uh, Rachel and I go to a show. We went to Celine Dion last time. It can be done. Um, anyways, so uh, uh, in Vegas, he created this thing called the Bellagio. It was the first billion-dollar building in America. Massive, massive building. Not only did it create the Bellagio, there is a two-star Michelin restaurant in there called the Picasso. And inside that restaurant, it has actually paintings from Picasso. Steve Wynn is an avid art collector, avid art collector. And one of the paintings he really wanted was this, dream, uh, this, uh, this um, painting called the, the Rev. The La Rev, which means the dream by Picasso. He went on to buy this painting for $33 million. I believe $33 million. So he has it for five years. He loves it. And then this businessman calls him up. I bought it for 50 million, forgive me. He bought it for 50 million. This, uh, this uh, billionaire banker called him up and says, I want to buy this painting from you. And it's been five years now. And so he offers him $130 million for the dream. Steve Wynn likes paintings, but he likes money more, it sounds like, because he decides to sell it, okay? So he sells the painting to this um, art collector, one of the most um, famous art collectors in our area, uh, in, in, our, in the U.S., banker. Well, he throws a party for this painting one last time before he sends it off. Uh, something you find out about Steve Wynn is that he actually has this medical um, uh, thing where he uh, loses balance quite often. And I was going to try to say the word, but I can't. So just he has a medical thing and it makes him fall, okay? Um, and so he's talking about the painting. He's celebrating the painting. And while he's talking, he loses his balance and rams his elbow through the painting and puts a whole, wow, this is, <laughs> you're going, <gasps> Yes, yes. I like, especially this side. Not so much this side, but this side. I'm going to preach to this side today, okay? So here's what happens, okay? So he rams his elbow through the painting. I'm just kidding. I'm going to give you a shot to redeem yourself, okay? Um, rams his uh, um, hole through the painting, calls up this art collector that was going to buy it for $130 million, says, I'm so sorry. And not only that somebody who bought it, he already had transferred the money. It's like, I've got to buy back this painting from you. I, I rammed a hole in it. And so he buys the painting back and then Steve Wynn goes on this journey looking for what you call a paint surgeon. Didn't know these were real, nor did he, but he found that there's these paint surgeons that can restore these kind of rips. Took a year. A year to restore this painting. I don't know about you, just even when I found out it took a year to restore the painting, I thought to myself, man, I come to church on Sundays. Let's just be honest. You got some stuff that had been torn in your life. Somebody else, let's be honest, the painting didn't, the painting did not cause the tear. Steve Wynn's inadequacies, because let's be honest, people have also this medical condition. It's called hurting people hurt people. And they come into our lives, and they literally trip into our lives, or they engage our lives, and they bring things into our lives, and they leave us with tears and cuts. And so there's this tear and cut, finds this heart surgeon, and again, I would love for it to be fixed overnight, but it takes a year. Can I just encourage you today, if you're on the journey of being healed, give God some time. You've given the world so many other things. Just give God some time to heal your life. Don't give the world time because time does not heal wounds. Jesus heals wounds. 
And so allow God to do what he can do. So he goes on, finds this heart surgeon, and guess what happens? Makes it just as new. So now it looks brand new again. The only way you can tell it's not new is if you look in the back, you can actually see what was going on. Kind of a fascinating picture. I feel like sometimes you look at my life and anybody else's life who was saved, and you're like, hey, your life is great. If you got actually behind the scenes, you would see what God has restored, the things that were torn. We come to church, and I feel like if we just actually heard somebody's story for five minutes, man, we'd have a different type of grace for everybody. Why that person doesn't say hello to you? Why that person's a little more snappy? If you could just look a little bit behind, if we could just start having conversations with people outside these walls, we wouldn't hate them, we wouldn't be angry at them, we would find out we have more in common than we don't. And so he fixes it, and how the story comes full circle, and it's a fascinating thing, is the same guy who wanted to buy it comes, calls him again and says, I want to purchase this painting from you for $150 million, more than what he's going to purchase the first time. Steve Wynn said, you got it. You're welcome. No party. Just take it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 150. Boom. Get it out of here. So he sells it. And, and, and I want to catch it real quick. Joel 2.25. The same thing that what the Lord says is, you have nothing. The wine presses are empty. I'm going to overflow the wine presses. And all the cat people said, amen. Come on now. It says all the food. Because again, all these things, what they represent is they represent provision and abundance in your life. Fulfillment in your life. And for you, you need to know something. Good news. Believe that God could actually make your life more valuable today than it ever has been. You can either allow the terror to determine your value, or you can take your life that has been torn by the world and bring it to the one that can restore what has been lost and what has been stolen. This is what God does. Now, let me, let me piggyback on this real quick. So I'm studying it a little bit more. I want to Google, make sure all my facts are right about Steve Wynn, because it's such a crazy story. And you know what I found out? He did it to another Picasso painting. Keep this guy away from the paintings, right? Yeah, exactly. So he fell through another one and ripped another one. I was like, what happened? Then that's how I found out about his medical condition. And I started laughing, but I was like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Think about what the gospel represents and what it represents in your life. So when you get saved, bam, whiter than snow. It's a new day. This is for anybody in the house that you've been struggling with the same old stuff. Real quick. You've been struggling with the same old sin the same old addiction, the same old broken mindset. This is for you real quick. You haven't fallen through your own painting once or twice. You've fallen through a ton of times. You keep ripping what God repairs. You keep breaking what God keeps on putting back together. And you think, is, is he done with me? No, good news. His mercies are new every morning. And I have this new hope in my own life because with new mercies comes new hope. With new mercies comes a new plan, a new promise, a new redemption. I think when you, let's just keep it real. I got a Jeep Wrangler. I love it. I'm just going to use this real quick, and then we'll move on to the next point. When I got my Jeep Wrangler, when it was brand new, you know what I did? I parked by none of you all, okay? <laughs> Nuh-uh, keeping my car away from you, because it was my new baby. I always wanted a Jeep Wrangler. It was my dream car. So we'd be like, you know, going to Costco, and race like, why are you parking so far away? My baby's not getting touched by nobody. But then I got a few dings on it. You know what I'm saying? It's got a few dings, um, and you know, it's got a few scratches. And now I'm like, I'll park by anybody. I really don't care. I can't tell which ding is from today or from yesterday. I just don't really care anymore. But what Jesus says is every morning you have a new car. Do not treat it as casual or cavalier. Do not just live your life next to anything and everything. Keep it away from the world that will damage it, and keep it close to the thing that will restore it. 
a new mind and a new restoration and a new mercy should have you live different every day. I think one of the things the enemy wants you to think is that your old life will determine your new life. But I believe that the gospel shows us that his new mercies will determine my new day. Can I get an amen? amen. I hope this makes sense. Let's keep going. All righty, so next one. Uh, we, we desire to be valued. There's one. So uh, here's another one. We desire to be rich. Anybody? Anybody? I, de- I mean, let's, we desire it. We desire to be rich. Let's, just, let's talk about it. He wants to take us from rags to riches. We desire to be rich. Matthew 5, 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Come on now. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Goes on to say, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I told you I'm going to have a couple more Europe stories. Forgive me, this is one of them. So um, I uh, went on vacation with Tom and Laura. Tom spoiled Rachel and I. Tom and Laura spoiled us. They took us out to a ton of great dinners. Uh, and so, you know, once in a while, I wanted to return the favor. And so we were in Rome. And again, all of us desire to be rich. Um, and, uh, and so we're in Rome. And we're going to the Vatican to have a tour. But before that, we stopped by a little Italian restaurant. And they don't tell you the price. They literally, the tour guide sits us down and the guy just starts bringing out food. And they're like, you're going to experience a real uh, authentic Rome dish today. And I'm like, okay, I guess. But again, I wanted a menu. I just wanted to order some pizza. Uh, but no menu. They just kept on bringing out food. So bread, uh, different kind of meats. And then they bring out a pasta. Then they brought out a salad. Then they brought out a dessert. No, no bill. No, no, no. I have no idea what's going on. And at the very end, the guy goes, okay, uh, 20, 20, 20, 20. You owe me 80 bucks. And I was like, dang, that's actually a pretty darn good deal. You know, like, this is a nice little surprise. And so uh, Tom's like, I got this. So I was like, oh, thanks, Tom. I was like, oh, I was trying to get it, but you're just so fast. Uh, you know, th- thank you, you know. And, um, and so he pays for the bill. And now we go to a new city in Amalfi, and our, um, we had a little boat tour thing. And so the boat drops off at this place, and they did the same thing. And so they started bringing food to the table, one after another, one after another, one after another. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Okay, sweet. And I was like, well, it was only 80 bucks last time. I'm going to get this one. I, can, I, can, I got this. I got this. And so I was like, hey, uh, I got dinner. I got, I got I was actually lunch. I was like, I got lunch. I got lunch. And so the guy brings me to the building, say anything. I open it up. 300 bucks. I, like, I did not play this well. Should have done the first one. Put the card in. And again, nobody saw the bill, but I want to make sure everybody knew what I was paying. I was like, hold on a second. I was like, I was like, they charged us $300. Everybody in that crazy? I want everybody to know my generosity. So I said, there you go. Um, hand, hand my card over and pay $300 for lunch. And again, I'm not, um, I'm not a stickler, but $300 for lunch is a lot of money. But again, like no bill. And I started getting this rhythm of like, oh, this is just how they do it. And they'll just surprise me and it's going to be a good price at the end. Not so much. Okay. Life, if I'm being honest, is... We, we go through this rhythm and we make decisions and the cost of the beginning, it's not that big of a cost. You, don't, you feel like you can pay it. Okay, I can, I can pay that with my own strength, with my own emotions. I can pay that with my own charisma. You know, I made this decision. I know I'm not supposed to do it. I get the bill. I'm like, all right, I shouldn't have looked at something, but I can take care of it myself. I'll just, you know, I'll delete here and I'll move on and I'll tell myself this and I'll just keep doing it. Okay, I did this and I think this about that person. Okay, it's all good. I don't need to forgive. I got enough strength to push through. I, I just read a good self-help book because those always help me. Uh, again, there's self-help books that come out every year, but again, the bestseller is this thing called the Bible because it's not a self-help book. It's actually a new life book. Come on. And so, uh, so you keep on going. But what happens in our life, if I'm being honest, is can you imagine if we went out to lunch again and I was like, I got this. And the bill came, and it was for $7 million. And I'd be like, you guys take IOUs. <laughs> you know, hold on to this one. It's going to be worth them. You know? uh, and they're like, no, you can't leave the, the restaurant. You owe me $7 million. Like, but this, this seems unreasonable. Like, I, I should be able to just, just what? what? Like, no, no. 
you can't leave. You gotta, okay, guess what? You gotta be a dishwasher. You have to wash the dishes and pay out the seven million and then you can leave. I'd be a prisoner of this decision. And what happens in life is you date somebody and it doesn't go that well and it kind of hurts you a little bit, but you move on. But what happens in all of our lives, if we want to admit it or not, is there becomes this time in our life where we make a decision and it bankrupts us. It bankrupts our emotions. It bankrupts our relationships. It bankrupts our promises. It absolutely destroys everything in our life. Have you ever met anybody? Let's just be honest. Have you met, ever met anybody who, when they first started living their life, they had a bunch of dreams in their life? I'm going to do this and experience this. I'm going to marry this person. It's going to be awesome. And then life bankrupts them. And then the person that always just has a very poor outlook on life. They talk about, well, that's just, that's just that's how life works. This is just how life works. Da, 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 da. And they have this terrible thing because they've been bankrupt and they're poor on life because they have a poor perspective on life. The good news is this. Yeah, the bill was more than you could pay. But Jesus came on the scene and he paid the bill. Because as you're washing these dishes and trying to take care of your own debt, Jesus walks on the scene. And the good news is, is blessed are those who realize they're poor and have no way out. And they're just asking, Jesus, will you come pay the bill? Will you come pay what I couldn't pay? Will you come do what I couldn't do? And when he pays it, you walk away from it. Some of you, the religious ones, want to hear real quick, stop washing dishes. It's already been paid. I can spot a religious person out of the blue real quick because they talk about more what they've done instead of what Jesus has done in their life. They talk about all the things they're doing for Jesus, all the things they have done for Jesus, how amazing, and you better do them too or else he's not going to love you. And that's religious talk. When you talk to me, I'm going to tell you what Jesus did in my life. I'm going to tell you about the things that he's paid in my life and the things that he's redeeming in my life because I talk about Jesus because that's what it's all about is Jesus. He wants to take you from this bankrupt mindset, this bankrupt life, and he wants to actually take you to this rich life. It's Luke 15. It's, it's, very, it's a very famous thing. We don't need to read it today. Go home and read it. But Luke 15 is this very simple, powerful uh, uh, verse about this young man who leaves his house, goes to the world with money, and then the world bankrupts him to where now he is eating from what the pigs would eat. He comes to his senses. Blessed are those who realize they're poor. You finally realize, man, all this world does is give me food that pigs would eat out of. Comes to his senses. He comes home. What does he get? He gets everything. He gets the riches of the Father. This is the story that every person should know in this house. You are not too far gone. You are not bankrupt. God wants to bless your life. God wants to use your life, and God wants to redeem your life. We all want to be rich. Another one is, I think we all want to be a masterpiece. We all want to be a masterpiece. Um, for the last, uh, I don't know, two months, I've been talking about I want to lose weight. Um, I um, was 214, and I want to get down to about 195. And so I just weighed myself yesterday. I'm 218. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> don't laugh. It was very upsetting. Um, ran a 10-minute mile yesterday. A lot of sad things going on. Um, but I desire even to be a masterpiece physically. I want to be fit, okay? I want to be a masterpiece. I, um, I was in uh, Florence with my wife, and we see the statue of David. And this is actually what motivated me. I was like, I'm going to be a statue. She always calls me a statue. I might as well become a statue. Um, and so this statue of David is this amazing piece of artwork. It's 16, 17 feet tall of marble. It's fascinating. It's just, it's perfect. It really is. It's the most famous statue. You look at the history of this uh, statue, this masterpiece, you'll find out that other artists rejected the marble to even start on it. Stop. Check this out. Other artists saw this 17 block of marble and said, not good enough. I can't make a masterpiece with this. And then the real artist shows up, Michelangelo, and says, I can make a masterpiece out of this marble. I want it. I don't know about you, but I think one of the biggest reasons why we haven't become the masterpiece we are is we reject ourselves. 
going to be a little honest real quick. Things I don't understand. Let's just go on a rant real quick. Um, things I don't understand. I don't understand skinny jeans. I don't know why anybody would wear them. Okay. Can I just be honest? I got to clap. Okay. I, C- Caleb's not here to defend himself. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not saying they look bad, but I'll be like, something will fall over and Caleb will be like, he'll be trying to pick it up, but his skinny jeans won't even let him bend over because they're so tight. I don't know why anybody would want to wear skinny jeans. I'm just being honest. I don't like them too big, but I mean, I want to be able to, you know, I want to be able to do this when I preach. I want to be able to say, what's up, you know, let the bus down a little in sync. I can. Um, so I don't understand skinny jeans. I don't know why anybody would pick a pair of skinny jeans. I don't know why. Another thing I don't know why, if I'm just being honest, I don't understand why people put olives on pizza. It destroys pizza. Anybody else hate olives? Hey, that, this is an anointed church. Let's go. Raise your hand if you hate olives on pizza. Yes, yes. Now, raise your hand if you love olives on pizza. No. That's my wife. We've had this battle for seven years. Stop ruining my pizza, girl. Olives, I don't get it. Eh, you know, they're so potent and powerful. Who loves pineapple on pizza? Yeah, that's a pretty small group. Dang it. Uh, my wife hates pineapple on pizza. But again, it's not about me. It's about you right now and your olive problem, okay? So I don't get, I don't get olives. I don't know why people like olives on pizza. It's disgusting. Another thing I don't understand, I don't understand why somebody would have 30, 40 grand this may offend some of you, but I just gotta, I gotta be honest today. And you go out and buy a Prius. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. You could have anything and you picked a Prius for 40 grand? Like, I, I had a friend show up, like, I got a new car. I was like, why? <laughs> oh, you have no mentors in your life. Because a mentor wouldn't allow this to happen. This is devastating. And last but not least, I think a majority of us can uh, agree on this. I don't know why people like scary movies. You pay to be freaked out. Yeah. Who, who loves scary movies? Raise your hand. That's Caleb. Caleb loves scary movies. Who, raise your hand if you just can't, can't watch them. That's me. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Like people are like, oh, it too's coming out. I'm like, what? I'm trying to go watch Toy Story 4. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you know. Oh, I hope what he's going to make it. I hope he's going to be okay. That's as scary as I want to get. Okay? That's how I live. All right? I'm going to Google the end of the movie. I don't know why. Let's get back to the, the sermon. <laughs> you ever wonder why other things I don't understand? Why God picked Peter? I can give you five reasons why he shouldn't have picked Peter. Angry, short-tempered, culture rejected him. He's a fisherman. Why would you pick a fisherman to actually be the one that actually you build the church upon that would be one of your first apostles that would actually preach to thousands why would you pick Peter? He was rejected by culture. Another one, why would God pick Moses? Moses was a murderer. Out of all, he way too much, did way too much to be picked. Why would God pick David? His own father wouldn't even pick him. If his own dad wouldn't pick him, why would God pick him? And I started getting jealous of the marble as I looked at it. We sat there for 30 minutes and just looked at the statue of David. And I got jealous of the marble because the marble is doing something that we're all supposed to do. Don't move, stay still, let God make his masterpiece. Let the artist knock off the rubble that you can't knock off. I love what Michelangelo said. He says this, that every block of stone has a statue inside of it and it's task of the sculptor to discover it. He goes on to say about other sculptures, he says, I saw an angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. Will you allow God to carve the things off your life until you're free? But what happens is, it's like, God, you're taking too long. 
And not only that, God, you can't pick me. You, you tell God why he should reject you. You know what I love about the Bible? You know how many sentences are attributed to Moses murdering somebody? One sentence. That's it. That's it. But if it was up to us and we were writing the Bible, you would have like uh, um, murder one, murder two, murder three, prayer group about Tyler's murder. You would have a small group about it. We would write books about our mistakes and our failures and talk about how terrible they are. We would write more about our failures in our story instead of how great our God is in our story. Moses, one sentence. God says, I choose you. you can't choose me. I can't speak. Well, you, do you even know who I reject? Moses is rejecting himself to God saying, you can't, don't pick me. I don't have the charisma. I don't have the history. And all God's saying is, I am. I am the greatest sculptor ever. And if you will just stay still, you will abide in me, John 15. You will abide in my word. Watch the masterpiece I make in your life. You may say, my dad rejected me. There's no way that God would pick me. God says, watch me, David. Your dad wouldn't even let you in the room. I'm not going to let you in the room. I'm going to take you, it says in Psalm, I'm going to take you from the sheep pen, and I'm going to get you to the palace. Your father does not dictate where you're going to go. I dictate where you're going to go. Your father's rejection does not dictate it. Peter, you think that, that your past of being a fisherman is going to dictate you fishing for men? Come on, drop your nets. I'm going to make you a masterpiece. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I want to finish with a very simple, very simple uh, conclusion. Michelangelo says, a man paints with his brains and not with his hands. I read that the first time. I didn't understand it because I'm not an artist. And then you unpack, and he starts to unpack what he was saying at this moment. For an artist to paint a masterpiece, they must first see the masterpiece. For an artist to paint a masterpiece, they must first see it in their mind. They must first see it and be inspired to actually paint it or to sculpt it. And I believe that every person in this room that I think you need to be inspired to have your life become the masterpiece. It says this, it's a very famous verse, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. But what's, what's our inspiration? Where do we find our inspiration for the masterpiece? The good news is Jesus gave us his inspiration and his name is Jesus. It was his life. The things that Jesus conquered, you can conquer. The things that Jesus did, you could do. He even said you could do even greater things. So my conclusion is very simple, and I, and I hope this makes sense. Revelation 2, I want to read it to you. He goes on, but I have this complaint against you. It's the church of Ephesus. It's him going to remove his lampstand. He goes on to say, he goes, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is for your favor, uh, is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Stop. Let me kind of recap that real quick because I read fast. In Revelation, there are these different churches that have valued something higher than the love of God and the presence of God and the relationship of God in building people. They've decided about, you name it, different cultures have uh, done these churches, uh, have uh, basically uh, infected these churches. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and it's a challenge to the church today also because that verse and that reading is more powerful to me today because you, you walk in a church that's empty, God kept his word. Lampstand gone. There's no joy there anymore. 
And I thought to myself, how does that happen? How does it happen? How does a church lose its way? And I think the most simple answer I can give you today is they lose their value system. They lose it. They lose on what they're supposed to value and who they're supposed to value. I think your value system is always under attack. And what I mean by that is I, am, again, am not an artist. I'm walking in the Sistine Chapel, and my wife informs me that this is the most expensive piece of art in all the world, $15 billion. Sistine Chapel was amazing. I'm not spending more than 10 grand for it. I'm just going to be honest. Can we keep it right? I was like, I was like somebody would pay $15 billion? That's what it's, somebody would pay for this? And then I'm looking at the Picasso painting when I was doing my study. I was like, I mean, it's kind of like the painting's kind of like, you know, if you've ever seen the, the dream, I'm like, this, somebody paid $150 million for this painting? What? You know, and then you look at other ones. Like, I just Googled most expensive art ever. I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. Because here's the deal. I, I'm not an artist, so therefore I don't value art the way the artists do. And I would never pay $50 million or $150 million or $15 billion because I don't get art. I don't understand it. So the value of us I don't think you understand it. I don't think I understand it to the level that God understands it. Because it says that God valued us so much. He loved us so much that he sent his son to purchase you and to purchase me. And so if God was willing to give his life for you, I think I need to value you more than I do right now. You need to value me more than you do right now. You need to value the people outside these walls more than you do right now. Because if the all-living, all-powerful God would die on a cross for them, maybe I should maybe just proclaim the good news to them. But maybe I'm too busy. Maybe I value my job more. Maybe I value my comfort more. Maybe I value getting to the movie on time more. Want to give me a little love strong? Maybe feel a little bit more anointed. I, uh, I want our church to value the right things. We will never stop preaching the gospel here. We'll never stop talking about Jesus here. You may hear Luke 15 a ton here. Jesus used three stories, and his time was tight on earth. It wasn't a lot, but three stories to remind us over and over again. I care about the one. 99 sheep, I'll leave for the one. Nine coins, sure, 90% is good in a lot of classes. Not for Jesus. He values that other coin just as much as the other nine. He will not be content with somebody not knowing the gospel. So why do churches become museums because we start valuing things like this preference i need this kind of music instead of this kind of music that's what your energy is going to be on not reaching the lost hey you know what i need right now i need you to talk more about this instead of this that's what we're going to fight about right now when people are going to hell seriously you know what i just i i, I would like a, i like a church that was actually in a real building that's why you're not going to come and reach the lost because you don't like being in a school no wonder those churches are museums not mission church you want to get in a conversation with me? You better come up and say, hey, how do we reach the lost? Hey, what can we do better about proclaiming the good news? Because the good news is the good news because it's supposed to be proclaimed, not contained. We're containing something that God gave us to proclaim to people. I may not have the same exact theology as you, but man, if you're going to leave because you're a Calvinist and I don't know what I am, to be honest, I'm kind of Armenian, I'm kind of a Calvinist. I don't even know it's too smart for me. Thank goodness. I feel like I'm, I thank goodness I'm this dumb that it doesn't get in. I'm like, I'm like I want it. I think I'm this. Oh no, I don't, I don't understand it. Okay, I'm over it. You know, I want to. I want to choose one. I can't. I'm not smart enough. 
But if you are smart enough to be a Calvinist or an Arminius, whichever one you think is the smart one, don't leave because I'm not that. Let's reach the lost. Let's love people. If, if you don't like how loud our music is, don't leave because the music's loud. Let's go reach people. Is this making sense? Stop valuing the wrong things. You'll value this place to a museum. I'm not going to let it happen as a shepherd. And here's why I'm not going to let it happen, because I felt this conviction from God when I was walking through Europe. Don't you dare ever leave my gospel. When I decided to plant the church, I remember God giving me this vision. You can ask my wife. I'm bawling my head off. I'm crying. And it was simply him handing the church and saying, do not make my church a prostitute. This is my bride. Guard her, protect her, serve her. She is not yours. She is mine. This is not here for me. It's not here for you. It's here for him. And it's here so we can proclaim the good news to a broken world. I'm going to value the right things. Will you value them with me? Amen? Will you bow your heads?